Hi there, it's Craig from Coffee, Eggs and Inspiration. Unusually, uh, this week, I'm coming in uh, at the start here to give a, a short introduction for a couple of reasons. The first uh, is to do a bit of a shout out to the uh, House of St Barnabas, uh, which is the location uh, we've, we used. It's on the uh, end of Greek Street near Soho Square. Uh, wonderful old building and we're actually using the, the chapel, so very unusual location. And the second is to explain that there's a little bit of construction work happening in the background. So please forgive uh, the uh, intermittent jackhammer or pile driver or whatever it, whatever it was. Uh, it is audible and uh, stick with it because what you'll hear Ricardo Zaccone say is truly inspiring. So welcome to Coffee, Eggs and Inspiration. It's a weekly podcast and YouTube video. Uh, that goes out um, uh, every week over uh, on the podcast side, Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher uh, and SoundCloud. So a few more platforms to choose from then and uh, if you prefer to watch, it's on YouTube. Each week I'm joined by uh, somebody inspiring and I talk to them about their story. This week is no different, I'm joined by Ricardo Zaccone. Thank you very much for joining us, Ricardo. I'll give a little bit of an, uh, an introduction to Ricardo. He's probably way too modest to uh, give that himself. So Ricardo is the co-founder and now chairman of King.com. Uh, for those of you who don't know King.com as a name, they're famous for Candy Crush Saga, amongst many others, uh, a mobile and social game. Uh, right now, uh, a revenue of about $2 billion uh, per, per annum. Uh, and uh, an incredible number of users, more than three, uh, 300 million monthly active users. Uh, players spend on average 38 minutes a day. I'm sure many of you watching probably play this on the tube or on your commute or other downtime during the day. More than 2,000 uh, employees globally. So a real powerhouse and probably the preeminent uh, example of mobile and social gaming. So welcome, Ricardo. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for joining us. Let's start by uh, winding the clock back. You're Italian. Yep, from Rome. From Rome. Very uh, important, so Southern so Italy. We are in the chapel here, so it feels very much at home. Exactly, exactly. And you went to university in, in Rome? I went to university in Rome in, at the Louis University. Yeah. Many years ago. Yeah. And you studied uh, economics? I studied economics, yeah. yeah. And the key reason for that is that I had no idea what to do. And so yeah. I thought that the thing which keeps all my options still open is economics. Keep the options open. And tell me about your, your family. Did you get this entrepreneurial drive from, from your mother or your father? I got it from my father. He, he was a dentist. Unfortunately, he died. Uh, but he, he was a dentist. And uh, for him, it was always very important to be independent. And, uh, and so. I think from very early on, I, I got the, this need to be my own, my own, uh, my own boss. Let's put it this way. All right, to be independent. Right. But I had no idea what to do. And that's why I started first studying economics, giving me all the options, leaving me all the options open. After, after the university, I went into consulting for the same reason. I still had no idea. So the consulting gave me an, an opportunity to look for, to look around for, for ideas. This was LEK and then subsequently BCG? That's right, yeah. I spent a year and a half in LEK and about six and a half years at BCG. And uh, I, after my studies in Rome, I went to Germany and I did my, basically, I did consulting in Germany, in Munich for about, ten, about eight years. About eight years. So your German's probably pretty good. 
yeah. <laughs> as well as the Italian. So uh, as an ex-consultant, I can uh, I, I can relate to that. Uh, it certainly gives you a, a a broad spectrum of experience in different companies uh, yep. doing different things. So that kept the options open for you were you were doing that for what eight years, nine years, eight years, yeah. eight, eight yes. years, and uh, and then what happened? Well, the eight year actually was 1999, and since 1995 I started looking into into this into the big into the digital space uh, and focus on the on the internet, which was really really early on at the time. And uh, in uh, 1999, it was the big internet boom. And I met a few guys uh, by chance in Sweden. Those were the founders of a company called Spray, which was an online startup. It was a uh, portal like, like Yahoo at the time, with many contents. And, and I joined them. At the time when I joined them, there were a few people. And uh, I joined them to build the, the German the German business of the, of the oh, company. I see. I see. And within a year, we hired basically 800 people. We went busy from almost not none to 800 people. In one year? In one year, yeah, 1999. Amazing. And, uh, and the plan was to do that deal in March 2000. But, uh, March 2000, tricky time. Very tricky time. And actually, we missed the IPO window by a few weeks because we acquired a company called Caramel which was the largest email in France at the time, and to integrate this acquisition into the IPO perspectives, we delayed the IPO by a few weeks with Gober. And, uh, and then uh, the Nasdaq crashed. Uh, if you remember, Boo.com was the first company to crash. Yeah, very well. And then yeah. from there, everything basically went, went down the down the, wow. down the road. And so we, uh, we delayed the IPO, and then the IPO never happened. And instead, we sold the company uh, in uh, September 2000 for 764 million. Uh, Euros and uh, unfortunately, like was Europe, and uh, unfortunately, like unfortunately, the deal was a pure share deal, so we got Lycos shares, and they went from 10.5 per share to 0.3 by the time I could basically sell the shares. Wow! And uh, and this basically meant that the deal was worth nothing. Wow! But it was an incredible experience and a fundamental experience for, for where I am now. Uh, because I met there my, my co-founders, basically the chief creative officer of, uh, of King, which created Candy Crush. Uh, he came up with the idea, is basically was, uh, was at the time chief creative officer at Spray. The CTO was CTO at, at, uh, at Spray, Lars Margren, and then later Thomas Hartwig. And, uh, and Patrick was one of the, Patrick one of the most talented developers I've ever met in my life. He was out of uh, out of failure comes um, uh, serendipity and uh, and sometimes success. I should probably explain we're in the chapel of House of St Barnabas. As you can probably hear, there's quite a lot of construction uh, happening next door. So hopefully you can still hear us. We've got a little shotgun mic, so I think it'll be fine. Um, so uh, amazing. So the, um, you, you met the co-founders uh, of what would subsequently become King.com. Right. Uh, you went through the peaks and the valleys of the internet boom and the internet uh, bust. Well, after the after the this experience with uh, with uh, Spray, I was offered to continue at Nikos, but I, I didn't come to an agreement. And I thought it was not it was not so much fun. So I got then an offer. To uh, come from move from Munich and come over to London for uh, um, Benchmark Capital, a venture capital, US venture capital company. Right. Uh, they invested, for example, in eBay and other very big startups at the time. 
and um, and so I moved to London for that. And, and you were doing investment management. You were well. The, ti I was, the title was entrepreneur in residence. And okay. I said, what is an entrepreneur in residence? <laughs> I had no idea what an entrepreneur in residence was. And they told me basically, you have, what the only thing you have to do is to come up with a brilliant business idea, and then uh, and then uh, and then we set up a company. We found a company. I said, so how does it work? So if I come up with a brilliant idea, then am I forced to do the the funding with you? And he said, no, no, there is no, there is no, there are no ties. So I said, it's, I'm stupid if I don't do it, right. because I get fine, I get no risk. But there is no risk. I get a salary. I have an office which I can use to, to come up with new ideas. And uh, and there is no ties. There are no ties there. So I moved over, and actually it was a very stressful time, despite me not having any times where I had to be in the office, but not having anything to do. Just having to come up with a brilliant idea is actually quite stressful. How did you do that? I mean, how do you just... Well, I took six months off before, uh, before joining. I postponed the, the, the start date to October. I left uh, spray at the beginning of, uh, of, of 2001. And I joined in October 2001 benchmark. And, uh, and I took time not only to basically, you know, to go around and have some personal time, but also come up with ideas. So when I joined Benchmark, I came in with a portfolio of 50 crazy ideas. And some ideas were... 50? Yeah. Five zero. I know there's some really stupid crazy ideas in there, right? So completely crazy ideas. But one of these crazy ideas was actually not so crazy, and uh, it was based on my experience in, in Spray. So when we were at Spray, we launched uh, one of the first dating sites in the world, which was called Spray Date. Dating, and it was it was a free dating site. So we didn't ask for a subscription, uh, and we didn't. At some point, since we ran out of cash, we didn't have any more money for marketing. But despite that, basically this offering started growing, growing virally. It's quite loud in here. <laughs> started growing really virally, and uh, and so I, when I when I joined Benchmark, I said, look, there is something there. We didn't make any money. Uh, but there must be a way to monetize this. Right. So I looked around. And it was a free, what was called at the time a freemium, uh, freemium model. Not free, or just it was free. completely free. Completely, it was free. completely free. Okay, completely free. And at the time, you know, online, online advertising was not as developed as now, so right. it was quite difficult to sell the space. Yeah. And it was also 2000, so it's the it's the the internet crash yeah. time. So. So this was one of the one of the 50 ideas. So I said, okay, I think this is interesting. Then I looked at the US, and in the US there were a few companies which had basically started earlier, like Match.com, who actually started with a subscription business. And I thought, okay, well, we didn't ask for money, but maybe we can ask for money. And uh, and uh, and so I, I I launched this. I pushed on this idea. This was my main idea. I killed the other 49. And, uh, and, and I pushed for this idea. So we looked at different ways to start in this, in this market. Uh, one option was to start from scratch, an option, another option was to buy a few free sites. In the meantime, there were a few free sites. Yeah. Put them together and change the model to a subscription model. Or a third one was to invest in an existing company. Uh, there was nothing at the time in terms of subscription models in continental Europe, but there were a few in, uh, in, uh, in, in the UK. Okay. So to invest in a company called Utate, and then to take the company, to roll out the company model in, uh, in continental Europe. And this was about 2000 and... This was 2000, no, this was 2000 and starting 2001 or 2002. So, uh, 
to cut a long story short, we made an offer to uh, UDIT to invest in UDIT with Benchmark. So this was an existing company? It was an existing yeah. company which had a market share in the UK and in the US. Yeah. They refused the, uh, the offer and made me instead an offer to join <laughs> to basically build the, the European business. Okay. So I joined in August 2002. So you left Benchmark Capital? I left Benchmark okay. and amicably they said, okay, it's fine, you, know, you go there, yeah. if this is your idea and uh, you should go. So I left, I left Benchmark, joined UDATE, and uh, the founder of UDATE, a guy called Mel Morris, he basically sold the company a few months after he joined. So I joined in August and he sold the company in December. Okay. I had, some, I had an option, an equity package, which of course was, there was a vesting period behind, but there was also part of it which was immediate vesting. So I made about 350,000 pounds after, after the sale. Uh, and you must have thought, yes, my payday. No, it was the first time that actually, you know, I could, I, it was a bigger payday. I, of course, I had saved some money with, uh, with, the, with, with consulting, but most of it actually was gone because London is quite expensive. So, <laughs> and then, uh, and so in December, the question was, you know, what, what should I do forward? I had some discussion. They would acquire it was match.com. Yeah. So we discussed that it would not make sense for me to continue. They had a European head already, yeah. a very nice guy. And, uh, and so I was looking around for new ideas again. And so I... Uh, Let me just take you back for a moment, Ricardo. So I'm curious that the 49 ideas that you killed yeah. at the time, was one of them around gaming? Uh, actually, no. There, uh, we had... One of the ideas was to build a uh, mobile, mobile portal. Okay. Because at the time, uh, basically, mobile was about to start. It had not really started yet. Yeah. But I thought, if you start on a mobile device, you can't really look at, at all these web pages on yeah. a mobile device. So the idea was to resize all the, right. all the web pages to make them mobile friendly. Yeah. So the idea was not stupid. But so this uh, is still pre-iPhone. Uh, this example. is much pre-iPhone. But the problem was at the time, the reason why I abandoned this idea was that the phones were actually far away from yeah. being mobile friendly. So I said, okay, no, no, this is good, but Doesn't work there is no, it, it, exactly, there is nothing there where we can actually look at it. So maybe I should have done that. It would have been also an interesting <laughs> company, but it was a bit early. So um, you had the 350,000. 350,000. Yeah. Start to think about other ideas. Yeah. And so what you do when when you start looking around is you call people you really read highly. So I called my my uh, my friends and and uh, former colleagues from Spray, uh, in particular Sebastian Sebastian Krutzon, the chief creative, and I said, okay, you know, what sh what shall we do? In the meantime, they also had left. Uh, uh, spray and they build their own uh, consulting company developing websites. All of them? Or uh, all of them, yeah. They stay really? together and they basically work together. And, uh, and so we started spinning off uh, a few ideas and out of this basically discussion we discussed, okay, why don't we actually start in games? And so we then... Uh, what, what was it that led you into games at the time? Because this is still very, very early on. Well, we uh, we... When you launch something new, you have to come up with something which is which is new at the time. And so the idea, which was new, was new in, in continental Europe, but was not new in the US, was to launch competitive games. So games where you compete against others uh, on the web uh, for free, or also for a small entry fee. And the games would all be games of skill, so there, there would be no chance involved, and therefore this game model would be uh, allowed in all the European markets. Right, so no gambling and it would be no gambling. It uh, so has a social element as well. Exactly, it's yeah. a social element because you play with others and it's purely based on skill and, and the winner basically takes uh, the pot minus a, a fee 
which is the fee of the organizer, which is basically us. Right. So this is how we started. Okay. Uh, we, I, I this was on the web. This was on the web, yeah. yeah. This was busy. We launched the. Uh, we started in the beginning of 2003. Yeah. Uh, we were really fast. We were busy six people, and one of the co-founders was a guy I met at UDate called Toby, Toby Roland. So Toby and I put in put in the money. The other guys were well, all of it. Uh, yeah, we put in all of it. What was that so that must have been a pretty important decision for you. You're living in this ex expensive city, London. Well, the first you just thing. Just had a payday. Yeah, exactly. And you invested I how invest, much? I went everything. I went, everything. Yeah, I went all in. I went all in. Yeah. Anything I made, basically, you did. Went basically all in, and um, in, in several chunks, but everything went in. And the, the, the first thing you do is you reduce your costs. So I, I give up my my car. I give up. My, my, my rental flat, I gave up basically anything I had. And, uh, wow. and I went and, I went and stayed at a, at a place in, in the guest room of a friend of mine. And I lived there for about two and a half years. So risked everything, yeah. Uh, but financially. Uh, yeah, but, yeah. but uh, you know, it's one of my best friends. And, uh, and uh, usually you say in Italy there's a way of saying that the, the guests are like fish. After three days they stink. Imagine after two and a half years. <laughs> so it was, uh, it was a good experience. I mean, so I was always grateful. We'll always be grateful to you. Yeah, I, I imagine you're still in touch. Uh, so you invested everything, uh, that started growing, and what happened? Uh, well, actually, the, what we realized is that we had this great idea. We launched a website in August, and, the, and then we launched, but we had no traffic. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Oops. So it's not enough just to launch the product, you need also to then have a way find to people. actually find people. Yep. Yeah? And, uh, uh, also, at the time, it was actually quite expensive. Part of the deal when we sold the company, when we sold the uh, uh, spray to Lycos, was that we would get a package of impressions uh, on, on Lycos Europe. And uh, that was part of the inventory we, we used to attract users. The only issue was that these impressions were not particularly valuable. Right. So we didn't get any, any real meaningful traffic from them. Yeah. And so we launched and we had no users. So we had to come up with a way of acquiring users, which was uh, I went and knocked the visiting door to door, uh, asking to uh, do partnerships, right. where we would integrate our our games within the game uh, like the game page of large portals like Yahoo, right. okay. T Online, etc. So channels, effectively, yeah, game channels. Yeah, this was the model at the time. Yeah. And so we started doing um, co-branded uh, integrations in in these channels, uh, but it took a while. And so by the end of December in, of uh, 2003, uh, we ran out of money. So we were really, it was the day before Christmas, and uh, I remember that we had really, really uh, almost no money. And, uh, and so in the last moment, we managed to close financing with uh, my former boss, Mel, at UDate. So he invested. And so then, this was the gentleman who owned UDate? Exactly, and who sold UDate. And so he invested in, in, uh, in King at the last moment. At the time, we were not called King, in fact. We were called Midas Player, because okay. the King URL was too expensive. <laughs> and, uh, and then another guy called Klaus Hommels invested in January. Uh, and that's how we, we started. But uh, this is on Christmas Eve. Yeah, this was so the day before Christmas. Talk, talk, what, what was it, where were you on that day? And what was I, going I, through I was in the office, but I was supposed to fly home. And, uh, and then, uh, basically, we, it was really by a few minutes that we managed to close the financing. Wow. Yeah. Amazing.
And then, uh, yeah, and then from there everything went upwards. We signed one contract after the other, and uh, and then we uh, we grew on on the on the net. We became profitable a year and a half after after we started. We became profitable in January of two thousand. With that initial or that second investment? Yeah, yeah, with the second investment. Okay. Uh, and uh, and then we became profitable in January of two thousand and five. And then uh, with that, we, we closed another agreement to roll out the, 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 the partnership we had already set up with Yahoo in, in Europe to uh, Yahoo in the US. And with that partnership signed, uh, we closed a big finance round of around 38 million euros, uh, but most of which went to, the went to the founders. So for the first time, I could then afford to buy a flat. Okay. And, uh, and to rent first a flat and then to buy a flat. And uh, and uh, so life changed completely. This was the most important money ever made, uh, which we shared among the founders. But it wasn't an exit event. You you, you were very much part of the company. And, and yeah, yeah. But mo but most of this went basically in the in the, went to the founders. Yeah. Found, sorry, founders and investors. And then about five million stayed in the company. Okay. And uh, we didn't we didn't raise any more money after that. Right. Uh, and then. Uh, and it was still a web a web gaming. It was a web gaming. Yeah, yes, yeah. and then uh, yeah, we were very much. We became the largest partner of Yahoo. Life was fantastic. Yeah. Uh, we signed one partner after the other, one web portal after the other, and one website after the other. Uh, and uh, we became not only profitable, but we, we, we grew in size and everything. Life was fantastic until I could feel the crisis. Facebook <laughs> launched, okay. and they launched in uh, 2005, if I remember correctly. Sorry, 2004. But it's not until 2007 that they opened up to partners. Yeah. And the first partners were games, game, were game companies, and uh, so Zynga launched, I think, in 2007. And uh, we, we we knew that about Facebook, but we st we started, you know, busy doing some first experiments. But we were at the time about 100 people, so we didn't have extra really a lot of extra capacity. Yeah. We started doing some experimentation, but. I would say not full, not full, fully. And this is really the dawn of what's what's known as mobile social gaming. Well, this was the dawn of social. Not, not mobile came much later. Mm. Uh, the iPhone launched, I think, in 2007. 2007, yeah. But it was not uh, for a while that actually games on, on mobile became so really still big. Mostly desktop. So it was all desktop. And uh, but in 2009. Uh, Zynga launched Farmville, and that's where, for the first time, we, we, we got a big hit. Uh, so what was the impact on the your impact business? The impact was that basically, uh, the biggest impact was on Yahoo. So suddenly, users went away from Yahoo and went to, to Facebook. Right. And this was particularly true for, for gaming, for games. So the Facebook, sorry, the, the Yahoo games page lost 45% of their users within a year. 45% so, so between April 2009 and a year later, they lost easy 45%. And it feels like, you know, someone te taking the, the, the carpet under your feet. So that was really fast. So you were successful, profitable, you had users, but you could see yeah. and suddenly it was draining. Yeah. And suddenly, boom, basically, new user growth was basically gone. Uh, and uh, and uh, and we started, we started slowly going down because what we learned in that in education is that actually users it's, the, the users who are more committed are still staying with, still stay with the offering. Right. But if you don't replenish the users after a while, you have churn, and so yeah. you know it's a slow slow decline. And uh, that was a very tough time. And uh, and so we had some issues with with, uh, with some investors. We had some issues with one of my co-founders. And uh, to cut a long story short, 
uh, it took us about yeah, between 2009 and 2011 to, uh, to crack Facebook. To yeah. reinvent, so you pivoted the company, you had, uh, I guess, a team or teams working on the mobile, or the, well, the social version. Well, the first thing is that, you know, we didn't have extra capacity at the time. Yeah. So, you know, you have a lot of extra capacity to do things, but so we had to change also the way how we did things. So we split the company in two parts, about 50% of the company started, conti continued to work to maintain the product, but without a lot of innovation in the existing that product. That was your cash machine at the time. Well, it was not a, yeah, it, it was maintaining the rest of the business, but of yeah. course, you know, to maintain users, you yeah. need to continuously innovate and refresh. Yeah. And that innovation refreshment and refreshing of the, of the content actually got, uh, got quite hampered by, because we, we had to, we had to remember, we were in a corner. And so we put the other 50% of the company, we divided it into five projects uh, with small teams, uh, testing different different things. Right. And uh, it was a very difficult time because on one side, uh, we had to manage expectations towards our, our shareholders, and we also had to manage expectations for, for, towards our team because there was a lot of competition at the time for talent and with uh, Facebook companies starting and busy to, to hire people, yeah. we had people trying to hire people from everywhere. So it was really important to And one of the key things we did at the time to do that was uh, to go for full transparency. So no bullshit. We said to the team and we said to the, to the shareholders the same story, which is we, uh, we have to reinvent ourselves. Uh, the opportunity is, is Facebook. We need to focus entirely on that. That's the main thing we need to do. At the same time, we need also to maintain our business to be able to do that. We are in a great shape because we have done games for a while and we have a lot of experience with games. We tried all different models, so we need just to be patient. Uh, but, uh, you know, this is it. And, I, and, to, and to show this with a picture, pictures often tell more than a thousand words, I chose the picture of a, um, I chose a, a cartoon called Mordillo. I don't know if you heard about Mordillo. Yeah. Uh, and so there was a, a cartoon showing Mordillo on the beach, sipping a cocktail, and the sun is shining, and there's, a, there's, a, uh, there's an umbrella, and they're busy sitting in the sun, sipping this cocktail. And then you zoomed out, and the, and the sand, it was basically an hourglass. And so you will see the sand, 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 sand trend going down. And so yeah. this was the, the picture which I showed to, to the team. So it took us two and a half years. Uh, in, that, in those two and a half years, many things happened. I lost some key people, some key people were hired away, uh, and another thing that happened was that uh, we had some unhappy shareholders, and, uh, and they decided basically to sell uh, their, their shares, and they found an acquirer outside, and one of my co-founders also decided to sell his shares, and so we decided then we made an offer to buy back those shares. So as a management. And that's the first time, no, no management, this was the, that's the first time we used the five million that we had in the company yeah. to use it for, for something. We never touched Sharing any of the, okay. of the right, money so we raised okay. from Apex and from Index. And that's the first time we actually used that money. So we acquired, we acquired back shares, 22% of, of the shares for 4.4 million uh, euros at the time. And uh, we launched a month later after having acquired the shares. For the first time, one of those five projects actually became successful. Amazing. So the sand was draining away, and we, once we, again, you went all in. We went all in. Used the, yeah. used the cash. There's probably um, a lot of people watching or listening uh, as a podcast thinking, hmm, I've, I, I sort of recognize that. I've, I've got a business. We're having an existential disruptive threat. What advice 
would you give those people who are sort of facing that sort of infliction point like you faced at that time? Well, I think that sometimes you don't have a solution, uh, but the most important thing is the people. So you need, a, if you have a group of people which, uh, which has on board basically creative people uh, and, and people who then can also implement, so tech and creative are absolutely key, and also marketing, if you have something good that you can scale it, then it's only a matter of time that you will crack it. Right. Those good people always find a way to, to get to, to a solution. Interesting. Uh, and so with the, the, the opportunity we saw all the time, uh, I said to the team, look, uh, we are not on Facebook, but if we manage to crack Facebook, we're in a great position because all the users, the users who play on Facebook at the time, the majority of the users were female, older females, 25 plus. And the games we had developed, our audience, our core audience before on the web were all female, 25 plus. Right. So I said, if we manage to crack Facebook with our games, then we have a great opportunity because that's where our users are. So it's so that was a sense of purpose and objective. Exactly. And then we tried all different people. models. We tried to bring our original game model to Facebook. They didn't allow us to bring it to Facebook because it was competitive games for money. Uh, and uh, for them, they didn't care that it was legal. Uh, we tried then other models, we tried it for free, we tried all kinds of things, and then yeah. one of these things basically worked out. And what we did is to repurpose, to take one of these games, which was doing really well on the, on the web, called Bubble Saga, to repurpose it instead of in a competitive way, to propose it in a way where you have many, many levels of the same game. Right. And the competition is much more gentle, not one against the other, but you can basically pass the level, and if you pass the level, you'll see where the others are on this journey. So basically, instead of playing the same game field, if you many, like, many, many over and over again, you, exactly. you progress. Yeah, which was basically the precursor of, of Candy Crush, right. with a different game model, which was a bubble shooter. And uh, however, we didn't monetize, because there was no monetization behind it. Right. And then we continued experimenting, and then we created, we innovated by in coming up with a new way of monetizing with a freemium model. Right. This was one of the first freemium games which we launched, where you would basically be able to play the entire game for free, uh, but you would have five uh, lives to complete this journey. And every time you didn't pass a level, you would lose a life. And once you finished your five lives, uh, you could either wait for 20 minutes or you could uh, continue immediately by buying for 99 cents basically those five lives. Oh, right, so it, uh, it played on a sort of a sense of immediacy. Yeah, and, yeah. and, and basically this, we, we launched this game in uh, September of 2000 and, uh, when was it? Uh, 2011, a game, a game called Bubble Witch Saga, which is actually still, Saga. still alive. Yeah, and, um, downloaded it last night. And then, and then basically, and then from there, once we found out that actually this game not only works well in terms yeah. of retention and virality, but also in terms of monetization, we started growing this game with marketing, like we did before with, yeah. uh, on the web, with all the skills we had. And we also um, uh, continued then uh, rolling out the same model with looking at the best games we had, in the, we had developed previously. We, over, the, over time we developed yeah. about 200 games and we picked the best games we developed over the many years and we applied all the learnings from this new game in terms of uh, how to build the game, in terms of monetization to this game. So it sounds like there are two innovations. One is the sort of saga concept, 
where you're progressing through levels. Yeah. And the other one is the in-app purchases, so purchasing additional right. lives and monetizing right. in that way. That's right. Okay. But then we had also to innovate in the, in the way how we, we marketed the site, because we became big on the web, not through marketing, but primarily with partnerships. Right. So me knocking the doors uh, and, and busy us knocking the doors of, of all the different uh, distribution partners. And here on Facebook, we had to basically do marketing uh, directly to the customers, right. uh, which was also a great opportunity. But we had to so reshuffle the, che the team. So unfortunately, I had to close the office in, in Germany, where we did uh, the department management. And I hired uh, one a guy called Angus, uh, Angus Lovitt, who um, at the time was the, one of the key sp biggest spenders in, in Europe on, on Facebook. And he worked at an agency, so I hired him. Biggest spenders, as in advertising spenders. Advertising, yeah. yeah. Busy buying money. So he really knew what yeah. that. Yeah. So he was, he was, yeah. And so he built a team, and so we built a team of uh, marketeers uh, and, and performance marketeers. And so we started then growing, uh, and we doubled the, 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 the marketing spend as soon as we knew that actually we could spend more. Uh, and we basically we learned over time how much a customer would be worth, and then we could basically increase the spend behind. So just in case there are people who aren't in the marketing profession, so performance marketing, bottom of the funnel, you're encouraging people to take an action. That's right. Buy something. Yeah. Right. That's right. Fantastic. And uh, this is still pre-Candy Crush, right? This is pre-Candy Crush. Uh, and then at some point, we, we were in 2011, uh, uh, so 2012 in the meantime, so we launched in September the first uh, successful game on 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 Facebook, Bubble Witch Saga. We launched one of the we launched a few games. Then a game we launched Candy Crush on the web in April of 2012. Okay. In uh, I think it was June 2012. Zynga, who was by the time at the time the biggest player on on Facebook, they had about 80% market share. Oh. But we went from nowhere on Facebook. We went, we became number two just behind Zynga. Wow. But there was still a massive gap in terms of size. <laughs> so in June of 2012, they launched a copycat uh, of Bubble Witch Sack, which was at the time our biggest game. And then for the first time, we saw our reach, our, our users, instead of growing, suddenly flattening and right. suddenly going down. So they copied the full Because they, they drove their entire users' traffic yeah. uh, to, to this copycat. And it was a game, the same game, but with a monkey basically in the game. Uh, okay. And I got incredibly angry because it was really a copycat of, of the game. And, um, and, uh, and, then we did, and then in the meantime, we were also experimenting with mobile. We launched Bubble Witch on mobile in August of 2012. Okay. Um, and it did not have, it didn't work so well because the interface was not optimized right. perfectly for, for mobile. Uh, at the beginning of the year, we acquired a company, a small company of I think about five people, and they basically then worked on the Candy Crush, uh, on the Candy Crush uh, version of, of, right. of Candy on the web, and they did a really good implementation of it. And then we launched Candy Crush on mobile in October of 2012. It's interesting. You seem to have this this pattern of um, ring fencing teams, small teams, and asking them to work on a specific thing, and sort of keeping everything else a little bit separate. Is well, yes and no. What we have is we, we try to to uh, standardize as much as possible it's to avoid reinventing the wheel. So the entire technical platform. There was one platform, yeah. but then everyone builds on this platform. That's the way how we could actually develop very fast with a few people. Uh, 
and uh, and also scale the company very fast. So most people, most most of the most of the companies developed uh, on on the web in terms of uh, uh, of their scalability uh, using web servers, web web web, uh, web services, and we developed everything with our own servers, servers right. for example, which was much cheaper. And um, so we launched. We decided the original plan was to launch Candy Crush only on uh, on Apple because they promised us the feature, but then we didn't get the feature. And, uh, on, on the iPhone? On the iPhone, yeah, we didn't get the feature. So we said, oh, yeah, you know, we're launching on exactly like before. We launched mm -hmm. on, on, on mobile, but where do we get the traffic from? Yeah, right. And actually, the thing which potentially was the worst thing that we were hoping for was actually the best thing. Because the fact that they did not feature us allowed us to understand how much traffic we would get uh, by promoting the offering to our own users. So we could really isolate the traffic coming from our own users and isolate the traffic coming from the marketing we purchased after, immediately afterwards. Right. While if they had featured us, it would have been very difficult to separate these gotcha. channels. Yeah. The second thing we did is because they didn't feature us, we then decided to launch Android a few weeks later. Right. And Thank you. Um, we didn't actually even test it really. So we decided to launch it whenever it was ready yeah. with no, no real testing. So we said, look, we need wow. to do it proper from day one because we don't have time to test. Right. So <laughs> just we just used that. Uh, Android in two weeks. So we in two weeks? In two weeks, yeah. So, and the advantage of that was that we could then close the social loop. This means when you played, you could play with anyone, yeah. uh, independently whether your, your friends were on the web, whether your friends were on an Android device right. or an I iOS device. Right. And that basically allowed Candy Crush really to unleash the full social, social power because yeah. you could invite friends wherever they were on any platform. Right. And it was the first time that the game was uh, really, really fully, yeah. fully 360 yeah. uh, cross-platform. Yeah. And that's another innovation we, we, we had with we, we it. And if you were an individual gamer and you maybe had an Android phone and a desktop, mm -hmm. could, you, could you go between those devices? Those yes, surfaces? and that was part of the innovation. Because, right. for example, one of the questions, it was not just tech innovation, it was also innovation in terms of rules. So what happens if you, for example, start on the web, and then independently from the web, you start on your mobile, and then you decide to connect the two? Yeah. Because you have to connect with your Facebook profile if you wanted to connect and play seamlessly. Sure. And then you played on both sides. What do you do if you have different scores here and here, yeah. and you then connect? So right. we had to create all these rules right. to allow you to play completely cross-platform. Synchronizing, yeah. And uh, we managed. And then we launched in, uh, we had a board meeting before the launch, in October, beginning of October where we approved the entire budget of the following year. We launched in the middle of October, it was the end of October actually. And uh, by the end of November, we had already done all the, the we had already achieved the budget of the this following year. This is with Candy Crush. With Candy Crush, yeah. uh, So um, I've got some numbers here. 2013, I think the revenue was 62 million. And uh, that grew rapidly to 1.9 billion in like months. Yeah, I think 2014, uh, uh, no, we don't 2013, we, I, I don't remember anymore. Where, 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 where were we in 2013? 13, yeah. Uh, 62 million at the start of the year. At the start of the year, I know, yes, yeah. by the end of the year we were, we were much higher than that. Yeah. yeah. Because in 2013, we spent about 100 million in Q1 dollars in marketing. 100 million Q2, 100 million Q3, 100 million Q4. Yeah. So we launched in 2012. So I think 65 was 2012, I think. Okay. 
and uh, and we spent this money without any without raising any money. So it was completely organic. Wow. And the way how we did it is basically we 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 you know when the game the old game the old chessboard when you put one one coin on the first and the second yeah. one you put two and the third one you put four and then yeah. you put eight and so on and suddenly it goes exponential, right? Yeah. So that's what we did with marketing. Digital marketing works. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. And the, the revenue model at this time, was it still in-app purchases and advertising, or what, what happened? No, it was all in-app purchases. We focused okay. only on in-app purchases. So when did you drop ads as a, as a uh, monetization model? Uh, we dropped ads relatively quickly. Mm -hmm. uh, we had ads at the beginning, and then we said we need the, the money we make there is not is not proportionate to the money we make, to, to, to the revenues which are generated from in-app right. uh, in purchases. And it defocuses the team yeah. in terms of the product because if they need to integrate also ads, it takes a lot of eyeballs away. And I suppose the user experience was different as well. And user experience, yeah, the user experience was different. By the time we had about, about no, we, we went from 100 to we doubled every six months more or less the team size. And it's quite a big effort. Uh, and only later, when, the, when we had many more games and uh, we were a um, much bigger team, and then we, had, then we had more time to really experiment with advertising and make advertising much more user-friendly. Right. Because it was not just something put in front of you, but it was yeah. something which was focused on actually enhancing the game experience. Part of the by, you can actually get some in-game advantages or boosters by, right. by watching ads. Okay, okay. Um, what, what, a, what amazing uh, explosive growth. And, and um, uh, you've been at the helm. Uh, really from the outset uh, and only recently become uh, chairman uh, yep. of the company, I think at the end of June. Yeah, a few months ago, a couple yep. of months ago. Now we are in October, so. <laughs> and how's that transition been from CEO to, to chairman? Uh, actually, I'm still super busy. I don't know, I don't know actually, actually why I'm busy or how I'm busy, <laughs> but I'm actually still super busy, like now. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, uh, no, it's 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 actually very good, but you know, I had a really really good team before, so I think there's been a pretty seamless transition. Uh, we have now, I think we have probably the most amazing team now, yeah. uh, who is now taking, uh, who is continuing the, uh, the management of King, uh, Humam, who Humam Sakhnini, who actually was on the buyer side because we sold the company in uh, 2016. This is to Activision uh, Blizzard. Activision. He used to work at Activision, and then he became uh, first uh, chief strategy, then COO, and now CEO, and then the rest of the team. My co-founder uh, Sebastian is, is, is there as, as chief creative. So the team is pretty much and Shudov, who was running the business before. They're all there. Good continuity and, so a, and I think a great legacy. Yeah, the company, the company yeah. has a great, amazing future now as part of Activision Blizzard, and uh, and uh, gives me more time now to. Uh, also for to spend time with the family, but I'm also uh, now uh, I have to spend also more time with the other thing we're doing with my co-founders. Right. So with my King co-founders, we set up a couple of years ago a uh, an angel fund yep. uh, where we only have our money, so we report only to ourselves. So you're investing in uh, other people's businesses, and where we basically help other founders uh, to 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 succeed. And that's why this fund is focused on mobile consumer, basically the space we know really well. Yeah. And, uh, and we've done now about 40, 40 investments. Four zero. Four zero, yeah. And, wow. and we it's a big portfolio. Yeah, and, but we're having fun. And the target there is primarily, is actually the target there is, of course, we need also to make a return. 
but the key target for us is really to to help others also to succeed with what we have what we have learned. Yeah. And uh, you know, we went through the experience of investors sometimes not being very patient, investors not being always very supportive of uh, of uh, founders. That's what we see in the market, and we think that uh, you know we understand the founders the founders' uh, perspective, and right. you need to be patient. You know, if, if people are good, give them time. Yeah. Interesting. So you, you you definitely got your your hands full there. I'm curious, has your perspective changed over that time? What's important to you uh, in life? You've been through a, a number of uh, phases. There. Yeah, I think it actually has changed. Uh, so I think that uh, when suddenly you reach a point where materially you can afford most things, right? Most things you you, you look around, or you can you, you you might desire. I got I love I love used to love watches, and I. When every time I did the deal, I bought a watch. I bought a, I bought a Rolex and so on. At some point, when you can actually buy any watch, I don't care anymore. So I didn't buy any more watches. And, uh, and uh, I bought another property in Italy because I wanted to have a property in, in, in Rome. And, and then actually I said, should I buy another one? Actually, then it becomes more headache. <laughs> right. So at some point, actually, you defocus. Actually, when you can buy material things, they become less, less relevant, less important. And then you really focus on the most important thing you really have, which is your time. And your time means time spent with people you really love, which are the family and, and your friends. Uh, what an amazing, uh, amazing example. And so there are really few things. And then another thing which also gives you to think is that is the marginal value of, of, of money. So if I spend now more money on myself, I don't really become more happy. Right. Because I have most things I need. You know, I don't eat, I can't eat more than what I eat. I can't have more than one roof when I sleep at night. Uh, and so on. I can't have more than one bed. <laughs> it doesn't give you more value. But if you can have some other people and where the marginal value is, is actually bigger than actually gives you much more happiness because it makes someone else actually more, more happy. Well, what a, what a master class in A, entrepreneurship, and B, what matters uh, most in life. What a, what a wonderful note to end on. Well, yeah, well, it's, it's, it's a new step, and now I'm busy in a phase now to try to understand what, uh, you know, how to, how to, where, where to focus in the next, the next phase. But fundamentally, those are, those are some key principles. Well, we're excited to uh, see what happens next from, yeah. from you, Ricardo. Thank you very much Thank for your you. time. Thanks.